How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Anthony Taylor here with the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I hope you're doing excellently today. Really excited to share with you today's guest, who's uh, Jane Watson, who leads culture at actionable.co. In this podcast, we talk about values and culture and how to use them to get from point A to point B. Uh, Jane's worked in private sector, public, and nonprofit, so she's worked in every sort of aspect imaginable around culture and driving results. And we really get into how to make that culture move and why having culture, behaviors, and values are so critical to being able to achieve and drive results as part of your strategic plan. So not just creating the document, not just creating the plan, but really how to move people within that plan. So really excited to share with you in this podcast. Also do check out, we have a new book coming out called Alignment, How to Get Your People, Culture, and Strategy All on the Same Page, which we'll be launching uh, later this month. So please do keep an eye out for that. And then if you enjoy today's podcast, be sure to rate it five stars on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud. And that'll help other people find uh, the podcast and, and uh, get to share with more people and help them out. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast and I look forward to sharing with you again very soon. Anthony Taylor here with the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. And today I'm joined by Jane Watson, who's the head of people at actionable.co. Jane, how are you today? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Oh, fantastic. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited to be able to... Uh, well, to learn more about you and to uh, be able to share your story and your experience uh, with all of the leaders that listen to our podcast and on the blog. So um, obviously, I've been able to check you out on LinkedIn and learn a bit about you, but why don't you tell me and others uh, a bit about your background? Sure. So I've been working in the, the people HR sphere for about 15 years. And in that time, I've been really fortunate to work in a variety of different industries and organizations. So um, I started out in um, hospitality management and then moved into some um, interesting work at, with a large food, food manufacturer here in Canada, um, followed by some additional sort of private sector roles and then um, a few years in not-for-profits uh, and also government. Um, and now I find myself at a small, fast-growing startup, uh, Actionable.co, which is really, really exciting. Excellent. And I'll give you an opportunity for a plug. What does Actionable, uh, what does Actionable do? So we are a technology company that is really seeking to change uh, the way that the world approaches professional learning. So we have a platform. Um, we also create content. And essentially what we do is um, we drive uh, team conversations about um, particular business ideas, how they apply in the context of a team's day-to-day work. And our platform then allows those individuals in the team to make a behavior change commitment individual to them, um, track how they're doing on an ongoing basis, and connect them with an accountability buddy and their manager to keep them accountable and on track with that behavior change. So we're really trying to see how you can actually measure and ritualize sort of the learning and reflection that happens with professional learning. Cool. That's awesome. And one of the reasons, and thank you for that, one of the reasons that I really wanted to have you on here, in addition to your varied experience, is uh, partially because of what Actionable is doing. And the thing that I like the most about it is that you've understood that learning 
needs to be put into like bite-sized portions and sort of like a just-in-time model, which is one of the reasons we have this podcast. So it's not like hours and hours of courses, but you know, a 20, 30 minute digestible thing that like has a lot of value as you want to learn that thing. So, um, but we'll, we'll get more into that. So, um, I had a question, which of the private sector government, um, and not-for-profit, what did you, which area did you like the most for your function and, and what were the differences between there? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I could really narrow it down. I think what I really enjoyed is working in organizations, regardless of industry, um, that are keen to experiment and be progressive in their thinking about approaches to people and that have taken um, the approach that just because everyone's doing something doesn't mean that we should do it, um, you know, what makes sense for us. And so I've worked in a couple of different organizations where I've really got to do that. Um, you know, my time in not-for-profit, you know, you have the added uh, constraint of resources, which um, right there just sort of like lends itself to being open to experimentation. So I got to do a lot of really interesting things from sort of a training um, and engagement perspective there uh, that I really, really enjoyed. Um, and then my time um, was recently I worked for uh, a capital markets regulator here in Ontario. And they're going through a massive organizational change as they are merging with a number of other regulators um, in the capital market space across Canada. And so that was really, really interesting because we were thinking a lot about, um, you know, big picture people issues. And so I really uh, enjoyed that experience as well. Interesting. And so I'll ask you one more. I think that's cool because I can hear that, like, different stages, different organizations and different industries are at different stages of what they're doing Um, in your 15-year career have you, how have you noticed the evolution of people management, HR, and basically all of those recruiting functions all bundled together? Have you like noticed a a noticeable change in how people approach it? I mean, I would like to think so. I I think that I probably have my own, um, you know, my own bubble given like what I read and the type of people that I like to talk to about this stuff. So I probably think it's changing more than it actually is. um, If you look at the average organization, having said that, what I do think is that yes, there's been a major shift in those 15 years um, away from uh, a really sort of a, a, a dynamic, whether we made it explicit or not, but a dynamic where um, the organization and, and HR is part of uh, the organization really created perhaps inadvertently sort of a parent-child relationship with employees. And so it was often the idea that we would implement a lot of policies and processes and, and tell people how to do things and tell managers even how to do things. And I think more and more, and again, partly probably based on my reading list and who I, I talk to most, but I think we're moving away from that and realizing that given larger forces that are happening, so typically shorter tenure, people are moving around organizations more. There's so much more contract and contingency employment so the onus for sort of managing one's career, being responsible for um, your career path, your personal brand, your personal development, is really being pushed to the employee by and large. And so I think that in part that's one factor that's sort of forcing a shift away from that very sort of parental type of uh, relationship to one where we're really recognizing um, that people are adults, which sounds like really obvious, but um, isn't always in organizations. And we're treating them like adults who have 
um, you know, great ideas and their own goals and aren't going to be with your company for 25 years. So, you know, let's, let's not act like that. Let's treat each other as sort of equals and adults and, and go from there. Interesting. Like I, from my experience, I've heard that, you know, the shift and like to your point, shift from HR being sort of like a policy enforcement uh, arm versus like supporting and working in, in partnership with, you know, your people and really being able to support them in their growth and their, um, in their work. So, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, cool. So I guess that would be a perfect segue to our first official question, which is, you know, when we talk about um, HR as a function, and we'll look at that like within driving business results. What would you say like your personal like two to three best practices are within you know the scope of your work? Like what is really important for our listeners for them to take away and, and maybe be able to implement in their own organizations? So from a from a people management standpoint or from a, the function standpoint. Yeah. Um so I mean I'm a topic that I've always really been interested in myself and one that I think um, is, is perhaps not uh, particularly well understood, but it, that is very powerful is thinking about organizational culture. Um, and I think that that encompasses a lot of different things, but I, I do think that when organizations think about the type of people practices that they want to implement or even the type of people that they want to have in their organization, um, there needs to be like a really strong link to what you're trying to achieve as an organization. So what are your objectives? What is your strategy? And what kinds of um, behaviors do you need to be uh, every day um, a part of the work that all of the people in your organization do? Um, and I think starting from that point, you can begin to imagine what type of culture that you need, what type of people you need to hire, and that will certainly influence both your approach, approach to sort of internal programs and the principles that you approach people management um, uh, from, as well as um, it will certainly influence the recruiting um, strategy and approach that you take to finding and um, selecting and then onboarding the type of people that are going to help create that culture and just exhibit those behaviors that you need to achieve your strategy. So. I think that's really broad, but um, I'm happy to dig into any of those areas more if you're if you uh, would like anything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think it makes you make a really good point. It's like one of the biggest investments you're going to make are in your people off the top. Just assuming that these are the people that I want on my team to get us to that future. So maybe I guess to dig deeper would be what are some practical things that people can do to develop the culture and understand how the behaviors align with objectives. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, I, I think right off the top, it's about being very clear about the culture that you need to support your strategy and the culture that you currently have. And so I think there's a really practical component there, which is to identify you know, what kinds of behaviors support the strategy that you're trying to achieve? And do you see those behaviors in your organization currently? So, um, you know, if you have a situation where as an organization you're really trying to, um, to be more innovative, uh, but you realize after reflection, observation, listening, spending some time looking at the culture that you actually have that in fact, um, people are valuing harmony, interpersonal harmony over 
over pushing boundaries or challenging ideas, or there's a culture where people really fear speaking up because they fear losing faith if they suggest something that's genuinely um, novel or unexpected. You can really at that point see quite clearly that your culture is actually an obstacle potentially to the type of behaviors that you need to execute on your strategy. Um, so I think practically speaking, that's the first step, right, is getting really clear on what you need and getting really clear on what you have. Um, the second part is really a way more challenging than it sounds because I think that uh, we're, again, with the, all the talk of culture, a lot of times what we get confused about, I think, is thinking that culture equals like our, our employer brand, right? Mm. So we say we're this. Um, so that's why I think it's so important to really spend time observing um, really at kind of all levels of the organization to see what behaviors are actually apparent and taking that away and trying to think as objectively as you can about why those exist because that'll tell you a lot about the culture that you have. Cool. So, um, oh, go on. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, actually, I was on the part about looking at the culture that you have and I was hoping to maybe take it a step back on like how do you actually figure out the culture that you need like in theory, it like it's like, oh yeah, well this is where we want to go. But like in a practical application, how do you know the culture that you need to be able to get to where you want? Yeah, I mean I think so culture is deep and it's complex. And I think that a big mistake that we can make is thinking that culture is um, something that we can just like design or roll out like a program and it's not. Culture is something that, while we talk about it often coming from the top and that's because leaders have a really big influence on culture, it doesn't just just come from the top. It's, um, culture is something that's shared and it's co-created and it's self-reinforcing. So when we talk about, um, to answer your question, when we talk about uh, figuring out the culture that we need, I think actually what we need to start from is the, the standpoint that, um, narrowing our focus to think about specific behaviors that we want to embed in our culture versus thinking about it as an entire cultural redesign or transformation because I really think that taking that approach um, with perhaps a very, very few exceptions is going to end in failure. So if you can narrow your focus and think about it from the perspective of behaviors, because typically culture would be defined as the deep um, values, beliefs, and then the exhibited behaviors that exist. Those things are connected, but what we can see and what we can typically act on and influence in the short term are behaviors. So, um, you know, the example about trying to think about what, if, if your strategy is related to innovation in some way, whether it's, you know, product offering or a new line of business, um, that may be where you can start to reverse engineer. Okay, well, if we need to be um, thinking about totally new ways to approach this market or um, or how we you know position this this service offering then that with the kind of behaviors that we probably need to see internally are um, the openness to trying new ideas um, a willingness to share information across groups um, you know um, much more um, early collaboration on certain projects um, it'll depend on your environment, of course, and on your objective. But those are the types of things. That's probably where I would start. Cool. That that totally makes sense. And it's interesting. I mean, we talk about uh, at SME Strategy talking about you know your you got your walk or talking the talk, which is like yeah, we have values. And I think a lot of organizations have values, but you don't know if they're really living them. Or so it's right. talking the talk, walking the walk, and then rewarding the talk. 
and you actually reward a different kind of behavior other than the actual like behavior that you want. So the example I always use is work-life balance. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we value yeah. work-life balance, but we're going to promote the people that are working 16-hour days. So like, which That's one is exactly it? That's exactly right. Yeah. Do you have examples in you know that you've seen that and you're like, whoa, we need to like, there's there's obviously this, uh, like. Um, what's the word? Like opposing behaviors that you've seen and, and ways to, to fix that? Um, yeah, so I mean, I've definitely seen examples of opposing behaviors, and I think that um, I've seen good examples of trying to shift that. I, th I think the, the classic one that I, I, I suspect many people will have experience with is um, a lot of organizations, collaboration has been, you know, there's been a big push on recognizing as a value and increasing collaboration in organizations over the last um, several years. And yet you still have so many organizations that use forced ranking performance management systems. So you're saying you want people to be collaborative and yet you're explicitly rewarding people, um, you know, relative to one another. So it becomes very competitive from that perspective. So you're absolutely creating a system that's very much at odds with what you're um, ostensibly trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think there's lots of changes happening with how organizations approach performance management. And I think, um, you know, provided that that's producing value for those organizations, that's, that's great. I think the move away from forced ranking, if collaboration is important to you, is, is great. Um, but, but to your point about, um, you know, promotion, I think uh, culturally organizations have uh, lots of levers that they can push and, and not all behaviors have sort of equal weighting or cultural influence in an organization. And some of the things that have, um, you know, a lot of, uh, of, of value and impact um, are those types of visible decisions like promotions, uh, rewards, recognition, um, hiring, right? Bringing in people um, who are aligned with the values or the behaviors that you're trying to promote within the organization. All of those things are great catalysts for trying to shift your culture and cultivate it in the way that you want. Hmm, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's super true. So actually, I have one more question over that before we move on. What uh, I've heard that the soft stuff, so we'll talk HR saying that the soft stuff is the hard stuff. And some organizations might not necessarily understand the impact mm -hmm. that it has on the people within the organization if culture isn't there. So um, I, I have my thoughts, but I definitely want to know, like, if you have these juxtaposed uh, cultures, for example, as you brought up, the forced ranking versus the collaboration, what does it do to people when they show up to work? What is like the effect it has on them on their ability to produce and their ability to, to be engaged in their work? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a terrific question. So um, I think that if as an organization you're advancing and talking about a value like collaboration and then you are on the other hand, um, you know, to continue with our example, using a forced ranking performance management system to distribute rewards and recognition. Um, what you're you're doing very quickly, it's not something that's going to happen over a long time. Is you're producing a ton of sort of dissonance, and I think that quickly what you start to see is a lot of cynicism. Um, and I think anyone, any one of us who's worked in an environment where you have, you know, cynical people around you, those are not the people that are engaged. Those are not the people who are uh, pro um, productive, who are sort of going above and beyond or who are championing your organization or who are acting as an ambassador. So I, I think there's a very direct and clear um, 
a path that you that you'll see quickly with people becoming less engaged, less productive. Yeah. Cool. That's what I thought too. <laughs> so. All uh, right. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's it's interesting because you see, like Warren, if you start seeing people quitting, like all in a row in big chunks, you can probably tie it to culture. And even so far as a specific manager, depending on how things are going, not that we're pointing fingers at anybody, but they're, they're very real uh, implications and very costly implications of a negative culture or even not even a negative culture, just a culture that opposes itself um, in the practical application of it. So, um, yeah. Any, anything else that you, you think we might have missed uh, <laughs> talking about culture and performance there? No, I, I think we I think we did a pretty good job. We touched on a lot there. Cool. Okay. Well, then I guess that would be a good segue to maybe some of the more of the risks. So I think we've convinced uh, our listeners today that you know putting culture as a priority is is important and and has real uh, economic effects as they move forward in this process. You know, one of them being making sure you don't have cultures that oppose each other or values that oppose each other. Um, what are some other risks to avoid, either in like the strategic planning process or um, as you move forward in like change management for culture and people? Um, okay, so a couple things come to mind. I think that, um, so from a strategy standpoint, I think that what um, what a huge challenge for organizations, a risk that they run into, even with um, a great strategy, is that it's not understood at all levels of the organization. Um, so you could call that implementation, but I think even before that, um, just helping people to understand what, uh, how that strategy translates into their day-to-day decision-making and work. Um, I think certainly earlier in my career, I would have thought of strategy as being sort of a C-suite job and it's like a, you know, some kind of arcane process that happens out of view of everybody else. Um, But I had a really great boss a few years ago and she shared her view with me that um, a job, it doesn't have to have, you know, strategy in the title to be strategic. Right, so any job can be strategic as long as you bring that mindset to it, and I think that's becoming more and more true in the workplace with some of the larger trends we're seeing with sort of automation and a lot of you know predictable, repeatable work really probably on its way out of the workforce by and large. And so there's that you know increasing focus on people being able to infuse strategy into their everyday work, and so. For that reason, I think it's so critical that um, organizations do a great job with helping people at all levels understand what the strategy is so that they can tie their day-to-day decision-making back to that. And that's really powerful, right? Like, that's going to make your your strategy get translated into reality. Um, and then, of course, because I always have my people hat on, I think that that kind of transparency also really increases trust in leadership, which can definitely have... Um, like really positive impacts from an engagement standpoint. Absolutely. So from what I heard from that is like the biggest risk being uh, employees at all levels not understanding the strategy or even on top of that, not thinking that they can contribute to the strategy. Did I, is that more or less what you said? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, even if, um, 
just that disconnection that can happen, right? So the, the strategic planning process, um, if it's not connected to people's day-to-day work throughout the year through, on an ongoing basis, there, there's a risk there too. Totally. Uh, do you have any like tips on how to make that happen or what you've seen or <laughs> on how to get that connection going? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think my, the current organization that I'm in does an amazing job um, really talking day to day, um, constantly bringing any discussions that we're having, any decisions that we're making back to the key business drivers, back to our key strategic focus right now. Um, and that's really, you know, we are a small team, so that certainly makes it easier from a communication standpoint, but it is still a very refreshing, uh, very transparent approach that, that certainly is deliberate on the part of the leadership of the organization. So, you know, that I know has, um, uh, because I've certainly heard it from people at all levels, uh, has really made people feel connected to what we are trying to achieve longer term. Um, it helps them contextualize um, the work that they're doing, and it helps them, even at a very, in some cases, a, a fairly junior level, make really much better informed decisions about prioritization day-to-day because they're able to tie it back to um, the strategy. So we, you know, we have monthly town halls where we're constantly looking at where we're tracking in terms of metrics, but we're all, always driving it also back to the larger strategic plan for the organization. And I think, um, you know, even the approach of sort of giving people credit and assuming that regardless of what their background is, they're going to they're gonna get it. Um, there's times certainly where people have questions, but I, I do think it, it just provides like a great um, sense of, of respect and um, unity for the group to feel like we're all really clear on the goals and strategy that we're working against. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Respect and unity and to be empowered. We, we say it's, you know, taking a strategy from the top down, but also the bottom up. So everybody on like the front lines, the ones who are actually implementing the strategy can feel like they're, they're part of it and moving the needle on that. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you come to the talk about the informed decisions, that's like how how you can empower your staff because you're paying them. You might as well trust them to do the do the right things. And for us, going back to what you talked about before, is those behaviors and the values allow people the space to feel safe to actually make a decision and know they're doing the right thing because it's in line with the values. So. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think that we, we sometimes overlook what a practical use values have from that perspective, right? Because you're not going to be everywhere every day to tell people how to think and act. And, you know, hopefully you don't want to do that either. But, um, you know, values, exactly as you say, it provides people with a clear framework. Yeah. Um, awesome. Is there anything else when it comes to, like, aligning strategy and performance? And I think you, you, you don't hit it right on the head. Is that making sure that everybody at all levels not only understands the strategy, but also understands um, how well the organization is performing against the strategy. So it's not like a one-time, here's our strategy, bye guys. It's, okay, here's, his, here's how it's going, here's how it's going, here's how it's going, and really allowing that to inform the decisions. But is there any other sort of practical tip that, that you have used in the past or are using now to make sure that strategy, performance, and culture are all aligned as one? I think that one of the things that I've experienced in um, in a past organization that I, I found to be very powerful was um, the expectation that if you um, 
you know, as a team member, if you were bringing forward a proposal to your manager or to your manager's manager, uh, so there was, you know, a decision to be made and you had done some analysis and you were going to propose a particular position or course of action, it was understood, it was absolutely um, like just a, a routine that you would be asked to provide analysis on how the course of action that you were recommending aligned and supported the strategy that was in existence. So it wasn't just a matter of like going into a meeting and saying, well, you know, Zappos does it this way or Google does it this way. Like that was not going to fly. It was very important that all of the decision-making was really grounded in um, how it tied back to strategy. And I know I've already sort of talked about individual day-to-day decision-making, but even that kind of analysis that was required, um, that really made a big impact on how I work, and I think that stuck with me. So that's a really practical way to kind of embed it as well in people's thinking. That's really cool. Yeah, So and you, and you can't do that unless you actually know what the strategy is. Right. <laughs> oh, awesome. Cool. So um, just one final question, which we'll probably get deeper in is, you know, what else, is there any other thing that you would recommend? So we have like a CEO or a manager, uh, some have been experienced, some might be new, um, that you would recommend to them, you know, that they can actively do to move forward their culture or their strategy um, that you are like, yeah, this rocks. Um, yeah, I mean, I think from a culture perspective, the best thing that you can, well, there's a couple of things you can do, but I think you've got to be very willing as a leader to, um, as you mentioned earlier, to walk the talk, right? So it's, Managers typically in a lot of organizations are uh, tasked. They have their own work. They are leading a team. They're meant to develop a team, engage a team, and it's um, it's incredible how much they're asked to do. And and when you think about uh, the idea that their behavior is so significant and so influential on on culture, um, it can be easy, I think, for people to think like, oh well, I know I've said that you know it's really important that. Um, we respect each other's time, and I want to, you know, create an environment where people feel that they can stop in and but they're having a bad week or they're having a bad day, and meetings get pushed with their, you know, their team one-on-ones or get canceled, or people feel like they're, um, you know, rushed or unwelcome when they stop by with a thought or a question. Like those, in the moment, it, it seems very understandable, and yet at the same time, those have really big impacts. So I think... Um, I'm not giving managers an out. Unfortunately, I'm saying like it's a tough job, but unfortunately, the day-to-day behavior like that um, has a really big impact on your team culture. So I think being mindful that your um, behavior and the words that you're using are being really mindful meaning from your group um, is, uh, is is important to, to keep in mind. Um, so that kind of day-to-day uh, stuff uh, has a huge impact on culture um, and sets the tone. I think from um, a strategy perspective and I suppose from a culture perspective as well, the kind of repeated discussions that try to really embed the behaviors that you're, you're seeking to cultivate really try to embed them in the fabric of your work. So instead of just sort of talking about them at a team retreat or, you know, you have your, maybe your once a month, like 
recognition for whoever's living up to the values, I think it's really important to be talking about it more often. So in your one-on-ones, in your team meetings, um, just really uh, trying to make that sort of forefront um, in all that you're doing with your team. Um, and so I know I think I've been harping on like the ongoing communication um, and I know that I, my team gets tired of hearing me use the word deliberate. <laughs> That's like my, my favorite word, but um, I think all of those things Sorry. really add up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, you know, I think everyone can get on the bus with values, right? Like nobody's going to say, oh yeah, I really don't like, you know, integrity or excellence. Like nobody's going to tell you that they don't like that. So like actually it's way more important that people live it day to day and that they're very deliberate about how they talk about it and how they embed it in their work because just, you know, being on the bus with excellence and, um, and, and whatever your values are, it's just, it's not enough. Um, so at, at Actionable, we have one of our values is kind of unusual and people, candidates always talk to me about it if they've checked our website out and that is MacGyverit. MacGyverit, nice. MacGyverit, yeah. And, um, and, you know, we see that every day and we talk about it a lot is, is you know, people, um, we're a small team and sometimes you just got to figure it out. You got to, you know, figure a way to, to make it happen and, and, and everyone kind of, it's all, all hand situations to, to MacGyver it. That's awesome. So I got the part about the repeated discussion. I think we might have dropped the call just a little bit. Would you be able to summarize the point about like the the day to day like walking the walk, like in like twenty seconds? Because <laughs> um, it just cut out, and I just want to make sure. I know it was really good, and I know you know I I can, but I just want to see if you can summarize it for just in case. Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm not sure where it cut out, but I think the point I was really trying to make is just being. Um, it's just, it's really not enough to sort of say, yes, I'm on the bus with values, uh, whatever the values of your organization are, because typically the values that we choose as organizations are going to be things everyone can agree with. It's much more about really deliberately having discussions and opportunities in your one-on-ones, in your regular team meetings, um, so on a, on a really day-to-day basis to highlight where those, where those behaviors are happening, to highlight where um, someone might have approached it differently more aligned with those values or behaviors and so using those opportunities all the time not as a way to show somebody up or blame somebody but rather as sort of ongoing learning together about how to make those behaviors more embedded in the fabric of your everyday work perfect that makes total sense and uh yeah it's not a set it and forget it solution you really have to be deliberate and you know you got to live it it's got to be part of your inside not just you know a buzzword um for the company, so that's awesome. Thank you so much, Jane. Um, how can uh, people get a hold of you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, um, or you can certainly find me uh, at uh, Jane at actionable.co, um, and you can check out more about our team and the company at uh, www.actionable.co. That's awesome. It sounds like you got a lot of uh, really cool things going on. So I look forward to to staying in touch. And uh, thank you so much for for sharing with our listeners. And I hope people uh, do connect and do check out Actionable because you guys are doing some some awesome stuff. So thank you so much for for being on the show today. Thank you, Anthony. It's been great. Awesome. So Anthony Taylor once again with the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. And today I've been joined by Jane Watson, who is the head of people at Actionable.co. Take care, everyone.